Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, now on YouTube as well as on your favorite podcast players. Thank you so much for joining us. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We're getting into the fall, so that's the topic of today's episode, today's Q&A episode. I always find this year or this time of year really, really tricky for me because I feel like I'm so between seasons, right? Like it's boiling hot one day. So last week, one day I was, you know, literally soaking with sweat and had to jump in the bay after a run. And then the next day I'm wearing long sleeves and actually contemplating gloves. So I find this part of the year really messes with my psyche. I'm going to say a little bit because, you know, there's a different, there's a different vibe to training in the cooler weather versus training in the heat. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very hard to go between the two, which I think is actually part of our our first question almost. Sure. Um, because I don't think it's, it's not necessarily like that. Oh, my last race finished. And now it's, now it's, you know, what do I do next? Or even like, oh, I have this time between seasons. I think part of it is a seasonal, the actual shift in seasons gives us this visceral pause moment. Sure. Yeah. I think it probably should, right? That's the nature of, of, of seasons. We talk about seasonality. I I think that's, that's the way it is. So do you want to get into the questions? Uh, yes, I think I, you've sort of edged into it. I so have, yeah. I don't want to spoil all my answers here on this. Mm-hmm. How do you dress for the performance in the changing conditions? Hmm. Okay. Well, so this question is, hey, Molly and Peter, I had a good summer of racing, but now facing a few months of decent weather, but I feel like I don't know what to do because I don't really have anything to train for. I have an idea of what I want to do next year, but no real interest in fall events. Okay. So this isn't exactly what I was just talking about because I'm saying the fall weather makes me want to stay inside and like get cozy. Sure. We actually do have an article up on the site about that for anyone who feels that same level of like, oh, I'd rather be inside bundled up watching movies and sipping tea. I do have like a cozy guide for athletes that talks about how you can kind of blend those two things a little bit. Okay. Uh, but this question is like, there's still sounds like some motivation there. Just no. Well, structure. I say, sometimes when you get questions, right, you always want to know there's always something someone forgets to tell you, which is fine. Uh, but it's, you know, are you injured? Do you have anything that would, you know, make it suggest like time off? And maybe you do need to sit in front of a fireplace or go camping or something like that. Uh, but if you are in good shape, which is, you know, that's a well-executed season, I think, you know, you're not necessarily, this person's not signing up for tons of more races. So it sounds like they've, you know, they spent their race energy and, and interest for the year, but they're not injured, which I think is an overarching goal. And my, my coaching philosophy is always, I don't want you to be injured on the start line. And ideally, you know, you're coming out of that thing <laughs> in, in pretty good shape as well. Uh, but yeah, motivation and energy and money and time and all these things are going to be depleted at the end of of the year, right? Yeah, for sure. So I think first of all, like understand that it's understandable that you maybe need a couple weeks of even just unstructured sort of do whatever time. And we've done a couple fall hikes, like a few fall hiking, camping trips that have been so restorative and just so much sure. fun. Yeah. 
And I'm always grumpy about them. I'll be honest. Like I, I always dig my heels in. I'm so like, we don't have time. Yeah, most of our camping trips do border on like. Is I, I always am asking as we're doing this. Was this supposed to be restful? Because it feels like the hardest thing I've done all okay, year. Okay, to be clear, they are not restful hiking trips, but they are like out of the norm for us, and they are not really doing anything. A of pace. Yeah. They're not doing anything that's like going to help us with our you know, next athletic goal necessarily, other than being, I guess, in general conditioning. Right. So I always say, you know, the sometimes with athletes or these questions, there's there's probably the textbook answer. There's always the individual answer as well, which you have to figure out your own special way. But often the textbook answer, when I say textbook, it's, you know, open up your Joe Friel training manual from 1992 uh, and, and see what it says to do. And this is, you know, did you periodize your or plan your year? Often the answer is no, and, and that's okay. And that would be a, a point that you could improve on next year. Cause we know that by setting goals, by planning your training, uh, not overdoing the amount of racing, timing things well. These are things that are very performance enhancing, you know, in, in this light of talking about FTP and how many hours should I train? It's it always, it's not, th that stuff often doesn't increase a ton year to year, especially for someone who's been training for a long time and, and or who is getting older. But where the actual performance, when I think about the best athletes I know and I've worked with, it's they're not pushing at a, you know, not at a hundred, but they're not, pushing all year round. They're pushing for two months into the thing. And then they might not train at all in some cases or, or very little or very, you know, unstructured for a lot of the other period. And it's really that periodization. I think that answers this question. Does that jive with what you're thinking? I think so. Yeah. I do think the one nuance of this question is he points out, uh, there's still a couple months of decent weather. So this is particularly important for those of us who live in these Northern climates where, uh, it's tough, right? You finish your season in August, say, and you're not planning on racing cyclocross or any like fall events or anything. But now you have September, October, November, even December before the wet, like where you can probably ride outside. And then you know that January, February, March, probably April are not going to be super conducive to riding outside. So you're hit with this weird, technically speaking, after your last race, you could consider it you're in your off season. But I think a lot of people want to save their off season for kind of the depths of winter or a family vacation in January, something sure. like that. So it does kind of mess up the periodization like standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a good strategy to, you know, train when it's convenient and, and good. Uh, you know, it's more you can actually train in your sport. Uh, and then take off some of the time that sucks. Now you can't always do that. This is sort of like training only when the weather is sunny during on the micro cycle, right? So on the week, sometimes folks will get too into the weather and trying to, but you're forgetting that like the weather isn't, it, it's you, right? It's the individual organism that you're trying to train. And, and so trying to move your intervals or your long ride always to the weather, th there would have to be a mismatch there at some point. Sometimes it might be fine if you're not training a ton or really pushing your limits. But if you you crammed everything because it was sunny for two days, you know that's just not necessarily how how the body would uh, accept things. I also always stand by race day is often not going to be the ideal weather day. So training in non ideal conditions is like a very important training stimulus. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so here's my question. Could someone go from like race and, you know, say they take like a reasonable amount of time off. So say you did Leadville, you take maybe a week off the bike and, you know, you've slowly gotten back to riding again. Would you do a base phase now, knowing that you're going to have more of an off season in, say, Jan, Feb? 
Yeah. Good question. So, I mean, that's that this textbook idea I'm saying is open up your drill frill book. This is in, built into a Training Peaks premium account. You could build your annual training plan using the Joe Friel calculator. And again, is this perfect? Is it, you know, ideal? Is it guaranteed? Not at all. But it, what it's saying is like, this is how a season could be structured and how many athletes have done very, very well over the last, you know, Joe Friel's, you know, been coaching for 50 years. So, and, and pretty much everything's modeled in this, this way. Again, tons of exceptions. You can be fancier if you want, but mostly that's how things work, right? There's three weeks on, one week off, or two weeks on, one week off. That's sort of how things roll. You do a lot of volume and, and not as specific. And then as you get closer to the race, more specific. And then what we're looking at is after you've been specific, what do you do? Do you go back to general? Uh, or is there maybe a middle one? And, and I tend to think that there's a middle one. And sometimes this middle period, you'll hear it called the transition phase. I like the phrase preparation phase. But you really hit on it. We're in a transitional season. That's what September, October, maybe November are this transition, or, or we call this shoulder season in, in ski towns, right? From golf season to skiing season, right? So you got to start, you know, you've been swinging your golf club and now you're in the shoulder season where you have to go do your specific strength training for skiing to get skiing fit. So for our cyclists, this might be a transition from mountain bike racing at Leadville and then you're going to recover, as Molly said, you know, maybe take a day, a week, two weeks uh, off the bike. And then you're going to ease into, you know, towards whatever is next. And that might be cyclocross season. So you're preparing over August and September, maybe for cyclocross season. In in this question, though, you said we're not really. So what would you go to is I'd do a transition period and then I'd go back probably to more of like a base one, two, meaning that there's a bit of cross training, certainly some strength training coming back in. Uh, but then lots of just endurance, right? And, and that could be, again, mixed modal, different sports, uh, but it could also just be lots of bike, you know, and certainly skills are a part of these early base phases. So this could be skills in another sport, preparing for your cross-country ski season. I have a few clients that are in this dry land training now. So they're starting to do like roller skis or pole running, walking, um, some cross-country skiers love like their uh, circuit training type stuff as well. Uh, so, so certainly some of that stuff coming in and then, yeah, they're going out and doing a couple fun mountain bike rides or a couple fun gravel rides while they're able to do it. And, and this person actually was really smart. And they said, I know next year I'm going to do something. So let's say they were going to do, uh, unbound is the one we always talk about. It's super early in the year for someone from Canada, because there's no gravel riding that's hot and, and dry starting like now. So September, October through till say the, the race date. You know, the gravel is not going to be probably hot or I was going to say, this is this is time for us to insert the link in the show notes to the there's not as much time as you think there is. And I did like some fairly sloppy math pointing out that if you're starting to train for Unbound in Ontario in September, you really only have five or six long rides left before June. Now, so that's a textbook answer. So this is that you just, yeah, go into like a base phase and just don't stress. You're, you're like, you're not getting ready for anything. So this, the other name for base phase is general preparation phase, GPP. I think it's also worth pointing out most people who are listening to this, they are busy athletes. They're, you know, they have jobs, they have families, they have lives. Mm-hmm. So the reality is very few of us are in the category of being close to overtrained or even having done what could be considered like really solid base at really any point. So it's, yep. it's one of those, like it's probably not a bad thing to have a couple extra months of base kind of snuck in anywhere uh, because most of us just don't have the time to do it, you know, this, as this, a pro. Would. This is true. Yeah. And I, so there's a, a few things there, but the, 
I think that base thing is never the wrong answer. I think, you know, most of us can handle this aerobic training is probably a limiter for most of us. Um, and again, when you're doing these other sports, if we start naming things like running, strength training, pole running, anything cross-country ski training, like there's intensity is going to be in there. So I think you're you're going to be fine. Jump in the odd group ride, the odd, these people will do these, you know, turkey challenges where you stop at maple syrup things or different things you do. Uh, and, and they're just big rides, right? I was just, someone responded to an email here over, uh, or let me know how they're evented. They rode this four day thing with their son, uh, from up North all the way back home. And, and it just sounded epic. <laughs> uh, right. And this is some of the stuff that we do in the fall that aren't necessarily races, but you know, still you, you have some fitness, you're healthy, you're not injured. Uh, so certainly can fit into that season. Perfect. Um, the other thing, you know, as we're preparing, we talked about that you're just not as much time as you want. So that, that is a good point that then if you're not injured, you recover from whatever you did, you have these months, you could start thinking, you know, and, and this is in the fall, I start getting some people looking at skills. Oh, I really lost a lot of time in my races because I didn't know how to bunny hop or corner or both. Uh, you know, the cyclocross skills are ones that even people that don't race cyclocross will get into just the skills of cyclocross, learning to mount and dismount can relate to a lot of different events. Uh, so starting to think like, what are your limiters? And I think that could be extended, yes, to skills, perhaps to nutrition, sports psychology, uh, you know, edging these things into your, your periodization, not just the bike training, uh, but also the bike training, because you could also do a block of, oh, you know, I've never done a VO2 block. So I'm feeling really good. I did a couple of weeks of just, you know, unstructured, low intensity training to let my motivation and energy build back up. And then I'm going to do four weeks of four by four twice a week Four, you know, twice a week for four weeks, I'm going to do four by four hill intervals and just see what happens, you know, and maybe do a test retest and there's no pressure on it. And, and then maybe you can see it. And I see this sometimes is a good way to spend the fall where there's no pressure on it, but you can sort of see how you respond to a certain type of training. Um, or just a training you like. I, I really like, you know, certain intervals here on the local hill. So I usually will include one or two of those and maybe play around with different, you know, I, I like to invent new workouts and, and try them out before I give them to other people too. So it's a chance for me to just go in and, and again, no pressure. I'm not judging myself hugely on the Watts or anything, but just practicing doing intervals and training, right? Because it, it takes a lot of practice to do them well and to be a, a very versatile athlete. So these are the type of things that I'm thinking about for a healthy athlete uh, who's not racing in the fall. Love it. Love it. Okay. Do you think that answer, that wraps that question? I think we touched on most of the stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, the transition, getting ready for the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Perfect. All right. Before we get into our second question, which is almost the, the inverse of this one, a uh, quick word from our sponsor. We have AG1. And now that it's fall, we're getting into that cold flu ugh, time of year. Uh, so it's time to be paying very close attention to making sure you are getting so many micronutrients and that you're really supporting your immune health. And the one way that we've really enjoyed doing that over the last couple of years now is with AG1. So one-stop shop for the one supplement you need. It's NSF certified. So you know, it only has the stuff that you want in it, nothing you don't. Uh, and it's got your you know vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, probiotics, prebiotics, greens, all the fun stuff that's going to make sure that your immune system is as healthy as possible heading into this, yeah, very potentially uh, hazardous time of year, we'll right. say. Kids are back at school, so it's tough time for parents, busy time for parents, uh, but also a lot of those those things are coming back from school there, the germs and so forth. So uh, yeah, I really like this uh, product because we can throw it in the little shaker bottle and you can, if you have to be right in the car taking kids to school, you can get that in on the drive. 
Uh, and it's just a nice routine that sort of fits really cleanly without having to, you know, have 15 different pill bottles, uh, you know, on the go. Exactly. And in terms of on the go, we do have, you know, as cyclocross people, we have travel coming up and I really do love their travel packets. I think they're super convenient. We keep a couple in the van at all times. So that way, if, you know, we have an early morning or, you know, we ended up out for a couple of days or something, which does tend to happen, we suddenly have these nice travel packets quick, easy to mix up and really help make sure that we're taking care of our nutrition when we are on the go. And to make it easy, if you sign up now, you get five free travel packs and bonus uh, immune supporting vitamin D dropper. These little drops taste delicious in a very weird way. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com backslash Molly H. So that's drinkag1.com backslash Molly H to take ownership over your health today. So definitely check that out. Okay. Now the inverse of the question where we're still motivated, but we just don't really know what to do with our training in the fall is sort of the opposite. So this one is asking, wondering how you transition from racing mountain in the summer to cross in the fall. It seems like a long time from March and spring races through to nationals for cyclocross in November, December, Okay, December, I was going to say even January for US, but they did switch it back to December a couple of years ago. So at least we've cut uh, cyclocross season down a little bit for uh, for the average master's athlete. Mm-hmm. Unless you're doing master's worlds, in which case you're just screwed. It's a very right. long year. Sorry. And again here, this is, uh, you know, do we sense a little bit of fatigue of the season edging in here? And then is there like a, do you, you know, do you want to race cross? Are you sure about this? It's funny. That's actually, even though I'd read this question before, I kind of already internalized it as a bit of that, like fatigue, both emotional and physical, and was almost reading it as being demotivated, even though it is actually asking about continuing to race. Sure. Um, I, I remember, you know, that's what I used to do. I, my worst season of my life, as far as probably like my health goes, was the year that I did my first Ironman when I was 23. And I went from that and three days after that first Ironman, I was back at cyclocross practice because the cross season started and it was collegiate and there, you know, you had to race this certain series and get points. It was the worst I've ever felt in my life. I'm pretty sure my gut issues all actually come from that season. Um, from Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's really hard racing that long. Yeah, it's amazing what some of these big things and that that is, you know, cyclocross season isn't necessarily one of those things unless, you know, you were traveling and racing a lot of doubles and that sort of thing. But the the Ironman, you know, Leadville's, some of these things, if someone goes really deep in these events, right? And that's always the variable. You sort of touched on it there earlier too, where you can do a stage race or do Leadville and just tour it, you know, especially if you're a fa- if you have decent fitness and you just stay back from your max, then the recovery time and the you know, how many races can you do in a season? It sort of gets to be a difficult question because you're sort of doing big rides and, and not maxing out your system. Whereas the way you did your first Ironman, you maxed out your system and then depleted it severely. And, you know, there was IVs and so forth. Wasn't great. So that can be a big insult. So, I mean, when you, when you get into these situations, you know, and sometimes they're unavoidable or you didn't know, and, and it was just a really extreme thing. Sometimes the recovery can be, you know, months and years. And I still think I might be getting over my Leadville in 2011. So it's, you know, what are we 12, 13 years here on the, the mend? I think we might be like that. Yeah. It's pretty much the same year. We both just annihilated ourselves is pretty much where we're at. So, uh, you know, I think we're, we're into September, what are we almost the middle of September, believe it or not. So 
to say, you know, take, make sure you take your time off between seasons. A lot of cyclocross folks will try and stop most of their racing or, or, you know, the important racing of the summer is done sort of as they get into August, maybe there's a little bit of a summer cottage vacation in there. Uh, and then they do like a base, I call it cyclocross base, but sort of just a bit of endurance riding. And then if in an ideal world, maybe you have a few weeks of intensity building into cross, obviously with the cross bike, the skills, the equipment, uh, you know, starting to get beyond grass more, uh, and then you're into the season. So the, the first thing would be to just make sure you're taking your day of the week off, maybe two, if we're getting, you know, onto the older side of things, or we're someone who has injury or illness, you know, frequently, I think that's where that extra day off often is, is skipped and, and can be tricky with cross. Cause then you might be taking two days off and then racing. Otherwise it's sometimes hard to find under other days in the week. Ooh, I have kind of a weird tangential question because I do think this is kind of related. So in the fall, it used to just be fall with cyclocross season, cyclocross 40 to 60 minute race, like pretty all out effort. But then now gravel is big and it's basically the same bike. And now there's a lot of gravel racing in the fall. So what's your thought on, you know, the combination of gravel racing and cyclocross? Because I think that's actually what both elongates the season and makes the season that much more difficult because it used to be pretty easy to say like oh cyclocross you race a couple you know even if you race doubles you're racing under two hours in the weekend like it's fair it's fairly easy to recover from it even when you are going pretty hard gravel racing though so you throw in you know in Ontario we have like the eager beaver type series I think there is still one in October mm -hmm. I don't know if it's that exact yeah, there's often like longer yeah. stuff. Yeah. So you could very easily be racing cyclocross twice a weekend and then throw in like a 10 hour gravel race in the middle. So I think you're you're almost adding insult to injury at sure. this point. And I mean, it could be a great way to mix it up too. I almost get like another endurance like top up if you're, you know, someone who's working all through the week. It's sometimes hard to get anything longer than even an hour during the week. And then you race all weekend. So you never do a long ride. So, I mean, it might be an okay thing to throw in some of these fondos. 10 hours is really long, you know, so. It, and that's, that's also, getting extreme. That's also assuming that someone can do a, a gravel race in a relaxed fashion. Like you obviously can go ride a, you know, hundred K gravel event and come out of it feeling like, okay, I never really went over say even zone three, except maybe like at the final sprint or something. But for someone else, like if there's Hills on that, they could be maxing out like crazy. That's how I messed up my knee five right. years ago. I jumped right. into the howling coyote. That was the race from zero to, from yeah, zero to howling race. And yeah. And the Hills are a variable there for sure. It, it's tricky. I've had a few plans like that where it's, you know, you're sort of trying to do two of the same thing at once, but that, you know, people do that. It, it's they'll race cross country mountain bikes and then also do longer stuff. Again, this gets into, we talked about periodization and sort of fundamentals of how do I get better at the sport? Even with my quote unquote fitness, my FTP doesn't change year to year. Well, it's a lot of these planning and, and saying no to some stuff and, and what, what season are you in? Are you in your marathon gravel season where you're specific to that? And then are you in a cyclocross season? And it's not to say you can't do different things. We all do this. I certainly have done really short races and really long races. Uh, but that sometimes can be a place where, to your point, that maybe this is where some of the fatigue is we're trying to do everything. Uh, so if the season's getting long, I'd be a little careful with that, especially if, if it's 10 hours. Like I think a three hour or under five hour race isn't as big a deal, uh, but something like 10 hours, like that's that's a long day. Uh, and it's going to require recovery. So um, again, you just can't race every weekend. In that case, you take a, a week off after the big 10 hour thing and then ease your way back into cross races is how I would handle that. Now with cyclocross, 
do you think racing every weekend is sustainable through the fall or do you think someone should take I mean, weekends off? Yeah. And I mean, we're talking, you know, there's the pros who are going to race where the money is and when the season is and the points and everything else. And then the rest of us. And, and I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of this, especially cyclocross is so social. Uh, you know, it's a big, maybe the only social interaction some folks are getting, which is great. Right. And that's what we believe in. We believe in the community of, of movement. Uh, and, and yeah, we just want to be careful that we were not overextending. If we've been going since the March spring classics and we've been racing in mud the whole time and just going really hard and we're starting to feel a little burnt, it may be sitting out the first couple of races, even if your overall placement is in start position might be affected so that you can finish strong into the end of the season when a lot of people are fading or even like quit as the, the weather gets poor. And that might just have to be your plan and your strategy to, to do that. Um, the other piece I would, you know, I see often with the cyclocross stuff and whether you come into a burnt or not, um, is just trying to do like intervals Tuesday, Thursday, and then race Saturday and or Sunday. It's just a lot of intensity for people who are adults. Uh, usually, you know, that two times a week is, is even, you know, maybe sometimes too much, uh, depending on what type of lifestyle you have on the background with sleep and work stress and family stress, how much you're running around with kids, uh, nutrition quality, these sorts of things. So, which I think is a good callback to last week's episode with Kelly and Juliet Surratt. If you haven't picked up a copy of their new book, Built to Move with the 10 Vital Signs, mm. I think that might actually be a fantastic one for, you know, the the person who asked this question is sure. sort of that how many of the the vital signs in that book are you currently hitting? And there is stuff about sleep, nutrition, and then just general mobility. And I would say that actually is also true of the first question uh, as well. But I would go through them in sort of this middle season. Sure. And for both people, you know, we have a couple of posts. We'll put these in the show notes around these like transition periods, what to do in the off season. It's a very common question, a good question. And, and that's really what, what do you do when you're not riding your bike? Well, you should look at a blood test. You should, I, I think these vital signs from the ready state uh, folks, Kelly and Juliet and, and their book built to move are great. You know, you can do this at home and, and take a week and just check in on how you're doing as a human, the movement. Can you get up and down off the floor? And you'll find something in there. No one's going to be 10 out of 10. I, I assure you of this, um, whether it's in the nutrition, the sleep, um, the breathing, there could be something new there in breathing for a lot of us where we could take a week off the bike and just every day chip away at two, right? That, that math works, I think, or, or, or plus or minus, right? Uh, not even two. Uh, of the 10 vital signs and just see how you're doing. But I would also combine things like uh, the blood tests and doctor's appointments, dentist appointments. This is, is a lot of, a lot of time can be spent on these things. Yeah. And we'll probably get into that in probably a couple months as the weather starts to really go downhill. That's when we tend to start really talking about the, those off season. Well, things, but any time, but especially in this case where we're a little burnt out too, where it might be something that you might want to do, you know, take a week off and just like really reset overall. So then you can say, I took a week off. Because often when I say like, when was the last time you took a day off when we're talking about, you know, burnt motivation is, oh, I haven't taken an off day since 1996. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, and certainly for blood testing, definitely doing even a panel like inside tracker, uh, you're better off having like doing that after a rest week in terms of seeing what your actual yeah. numbers certainly are. You don't want to be like immediately post a extreme event. They'll tell you that you have a bunch of weird stuff in your blood. Uh, and that's the nature of endurance events, I guess, but, uh, I would do that. And then of course, you know, we get into all these other things we love with consummate athlete in our book, becoming a consummate athlete. There's all this organization Yay. cyclocross to me is just a gear organization exercise. Oh my gosh. Just week in, week out having just, for days. I, I'm not big on spare sets of wheels, but I just set up my cyclocross tires and wheels so that I have gravel and cyclocross so that when I do my cyclocross sessions, I can have a set of gravel tires. 
similar to the athletes who are preparing for cross. And, and yeah, it's just, oh, oh my God, those wheels and does the, the disc brakes line up and uh, the cassettes the same. And I feel like I really just unpacked in my brain why I decided athletics were a thing that I liked as like a very non-athletic kid. I love packing so very much. I used to, you know, pack and unpack my Barbies for various trips and make my sister listen to descriptions of the packing. And basically, yeah, you're right. All cyclocross is is packing list after packing list after packing list. So I love it. Sure. And cleaning stuff. And again, there's a lot of stuff there, bike maintenance. So, I mean, your bike could go into the shop for a week and get all cleaned up and ready to go. So yeah, there's so much stuff there that we can do and that makes an off week worthwhile, but still productive, right? We want you to be napping and a little lazy. And as we said, maybe going to a cottage or, or like low key camping, uh, getting out in nature is, is very rejuvenating, but, uh, yeah, I would say just caution going into that. And again, just trying to scale back the amount of intensity. So in the week, then you're going to do endurance training, uh, more days than not. And, and again, maybe one cross practice or interval set in the middle of the week, if you can get recovered and then your race on the weekend. And, and I would say a lot of people can handle that. And that's a great way to go through the fall, honestly. Like if you can get that figured out uh, and not overdo it, I think that once during the week, a little bit of intensity, once on the weekend, a little bit of racing, and then everything else just, uh, not just like everything else is endurance training then. Love it. Love it. And consider this your permission slip to have a weekend without racing or have a lazy weekend at home. I'll say like this past weekend, I just had time at home after a few weeks of not having that. And it was fantastic. I feel like I've overhauled my whole life. It was amazing. I think so with adults and, and, you know, kids are now back at school, you know, works tends to get into that grind until we get towards the holidays, you know, year end deadlines, quarterly deadlines, these things are coming up. So yeah, I, I think you want to reflect on, do I need to do the whole series? Are there like the races I'm really excited about the ones that are close to home? I try and encourage for these fall events. Can we do more that are just whatever is close to home? I'm going to race, I think is sometimes a good way. And that, you know, even opens up to your idea of like one weekend's a marathon mountain bike race, then a gravel race, then a cross race. If you have, are, are able to do this with bikes and everything else, certainly that's a little privilege that you have that, but to shake it, if you got it, I guess. Darn right uh, going from there, but yeah, you don't need to race every weekend for sure. And, and that I think is if you wanted like a, a way to not burn out, you know, we have a post on cyclocross burnout. If you want to go deeper on cyclocross burnout, uh, that, that like taking a weekend or two or three, uh, where there aren't races, if you can now our local schedule for cross is essentially every weekend. For, I think it's like four or five weekends out of, of six, right? So there's one weekend off and that's the season. So if that's your season, then I guess it, it's really, it's a month and a bit that you're going to be out of the house a lot. Right. And, and, you know, then before that, try and be a little more relaxed, just keep it at home. And then afterwards plan to not be again, running to stuff. Yeah. And I have noticed, actually, we have been talking about cyclocross as these double weekends, but it does seem like a lot of places now are shifting to, it's actually just one day, the Ontario series. It is only one day of the weekend. It's not back to back days. Uh, so really, I think that is just like this holdover from UCI racing, where a lot of those weekends had to be doubles because otherwise you wouldn't lure enough pros in, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem like these one days are are becoming more and more popular, which I think is honestly great for the master's athlete, the average person. It takes some of the pressure off to be around for both days. It takes some of the cost out, takes some of the the stress out. So I'm really happy that a lot more races are shifting to the one day model. I, I agree. 
Yeah, I don't really have much more. Do you think like in Europe, I, I always I actually found that a little odd too. like it seemed like even the top racers often are like the World Cup and then not necessarily racing the other day. Like in some cases, they'd have like a really busy like the Christmas week is obviously hectic. Yeah, but mo- I mean, World Cups, for example, you actually would only have a one day race because the day before, like the Saturday is the pre-ride for a lot of them or it's like split into two days. So you have teams that have to be there over the two days because it's for sure. men race one day, right. women race the other. Right. Uh, so I, I do actually, I think that's way better. And I think that's why the Europeans like the cross racers are really, really good because they're not just like going out and smashing themselves into the ground two days in a row most of the time. Right. And it's interesting that you see that so often where it's when you actually look at what the pros do, it's like, oh, they don't actually even train as much as, you know, some of the elite masters who are just like filling their days with training and it's like oh yeah the pros often aren't training certainly their pros are going to go and do 25 30 hour weeks sometimes in the base season but not all through the race season or or in their like normal weeks um they're also not racing as much like if you look at the gravel pros in the u.s i would say a lot of them race less gravel this season than most masters like racers who do gravel now sophia her last name the, gomez Villafon? yes she was saying um it was big uh, about like uh the women having their own start and a no drafting off of other categories rules I, I, this was just in the u.s gravel nationals they put this in did you see that did not see that uh, all that to say, she she's actually it's sort of a controversial opinion. I, I agree with her, but that the women's race should be shorter distance so that the wind time is the same, which is contentious. Right? Is I get contentious. It. Now, her argument to our points here is actually so that you can race more mm. because if the women's race was if the, the, the alternative thing is that the women's should race the identical course, which I think is how a lot of like unbound is 200 miles. Um if the the times are getting longer and longer for the women then so the women are actually racing longer in that scenario right so then she's saying that then it's a bigger load and they can't race as often interesting i guess it's funny because i think my contention coming from ultra running is are we actually going to see that shift in the next few years because what we have seen in ultra running is the women's like the women are closing on the men in a lot of distances that are over you know a few hours of racing like there's a lot of 24 hour races or sorry, hundred mile races where the women are in the top 10 easily, or, you know, in the case of like the smaller one that I did, like, you know, I won it by four hours. Right. So I do think, you know, maybe like in a few years, we're actually going to see that the women are getting closer to the men's win times and are getting faster. I think that's a conten- <laughs> It's a contentious subject. I guess we'll see. Uh, it probably depends on the type of race. You're probably right that in some of these like longer um, unbound, you're going to see more women like getting towards that front. It's hard to say. I don't know that you will. But again, contentious. Uh, I think there is a few things with running and, and the 24 hour like 100 milers where you may see like that a slightly narrower, but it, it's hard to see. We'll have to see. Uh, but I think to her point that in these races that are more like in the four to six hour range. Uh, just trying to shorten them down so that it's a similar wind time uh, is, again, again, contentious. But to our point here that uh, you can only race so much and the pros often don't race as much. In, and again, their races, they're trying to almost get them a little shorter sometimes so that they could race a bit more. Um, and, and But then on the flip side, we have a, a master's athlete who has all these other things going on in their life, aren't getting paid to do it, but then maybe chooses to do like intervals a few times more a week. 
you know, intensity hundred percent all the time. And then also traveling to like race after race, after race, after race. Uh, so indeed the race number of race days may actually be higher than some of these paid pros. Yeah, for sure. Do you say paid pros? Pro is sort of like assumes that they're paid, but driving that point home. No, I think, well, the term pro or elite really has like blurred over the last few years. So we're going to, we're going to say paid pros to specifically mean like, that's all you do. Current events. Anyhow. Okay. I like it. I like it. Although, you know what? I actually stand, there's a few women who've come out with, and some men actually who've argued that rather than, you know, in the case of the Tour de France and the Tour de France Femmes, uh, rather than making the women's stages as long as the men's or giving them more stages to like equal out to the men's, perhaps we think about shortening the men's stages and shortening the men's race uh, in order to kind of bring them closer together because people think that would actually make for more exciting racing. I sure. mean, do you really need mile like 60 to 160 of unbound anyway? It's a good question. Yeah. And this is where the discipline probably matters a little bit. And and even as you say, unbounds may be different than a lot of these hundred mile races. You know, it's sort of its own beast because it's twice as long. I just cannot imagine. And like last word, I'll maybe say on the subject. I just can't even imagine the reaction. If you said Leadville for the women now is 75 miles. I'm sorry, the Leadville 75 like yeah, I, the I, unbound 150. I don't know. Like for the ladies, like that would there would be such a mass outcry about that. Like, yeah, it's contentious. No, I people say. would be freaking furious. <laughs> I would be, I would be so freaking angry if, like, oh, because you know, because like the pro women want to have slightly shorter races so they can recover faster. Me as a woman who wanted to do the Leadville 100 for her entire life can do the Leadville freaking 75. Well, so that would be the, that's the wrinkle. And I think that's what the event organizers would say. Like, this is just going to be, you know, impossible to enforce. And, and then would it only be for the pro women uh, possibly, right? That might be, I guess, what you would do. But then, yeah, it's getting a little obscure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good point. I don't know how you'd bring it in. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I, I understand the theory um, and I, I don't think well, there you go. Maybe we have a topic. If someone's, uh, you know, some of the event organizers, at me, please. well, or, or come on the show, we can have this very, very niche conversation. So all that to say, uh, you know, I, I think this is something pros are looking at. And again, there's the number of races. And sometimes we assume we have to do the whole series, everything in the local calendar or, or whatever. Right. And again, you don't have to, you can sort of pick and choose a little bit, depending on where you are this year. Again, next year, you could do the whole series. You can periodize your year for that, maybe taking that summer break, thinking towards a, a big cyclocross season. Uh, but if you're already into it and it's feeling a little iffy again, take action immediately uh, to, to help get you through till nationals, if that's the goal, because you do have three, four months. So like a week or a day or something off here is not a big deal. And then I would sort of pick those events, trying to think how your future self is going to absorb these and deal with them. We always like to really highlight those busy weeks. What's a busy week coming up. I'm trying to think like Thanksgiving, like if you have your family, like don't try and maybe that's the weekend not to also stack a cyclocross race. I know it's tough because often there's like probably Turkey races or something. Um, Isn't it funny that for like the the average like non-athletic person, the common advice for Thanksgiving is like 
find a local 5k turkey trot and bring right. the whole family <laughs> right we're like don't do that on thanksgiving just just veg well i don't know you find your own solution but to think of those weeks right and maybe you're a teacher and you have report cards or maybe what else what else comes up i don't know christmas shopping or black friday maybe you're like a lot of people in businesses have just like holiday stuff it's q4 like there's a lot going on like work-wise and well i guess we're just into q4 now yeah yeah. So, but you probably have to meet a budget thing before the end of the year or, yeah. or yeah, report cards or exams or whatever. Right. So just be smart about that. Block those off in your calendar. And then, you know, what races are available to me based on this? This is sort of, we've done an episode around that. I think, you know, choosing the races that are actually available to you to narrow them down. What type do you like? And then what weeks are, are actually available given your life. Um, and, and I always say like, it's just for this year, if you led bills for you, but like, ah, you know, my kids are, in camp and I, I have to be there or something this week, uh, or there's a work conference or there's vacation with the family is like the week before Leadville, like just, okay, well try and get ahead of it for the next year, 2025, two years out that like the family vacation has to come after that, uh, in an ideal world, right. Or way earlier in the year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for today. If you have any more questions, if you're thinking about the off season, definitely hit us up over at consummate athlete on Instagram or consummateathlete.com. And if you're liking the video, do us a favor, drop us a comment or a like, or what a subscribe on YouTube. Right. Um, and of course, if you are listening to the podcast, wherever you listen to it, uh, hit us with a rating review, make sure you subscribe. So you never miss an episode. And with that, we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.